Oh yeah, do the offering now, by the way. See, I told you I'm terrible at this. No wonder we don't have any money. I just, <laughs> you guys take the offering now. So let me talk to you about today. Um, so we've been going through Psalm 119 for about 12 weeks and, and you guys need a break from me and from that. And Chuck needs a break from Old Testament stuff, but he's gonna be disappointed today apparently. So, um, but let me tell you about, let me tell you about uh, Megan. Megan's gonna be for the next two weeks teaching us about worship as our worship director. She's up here every week doing that. So I think it's important for us to hear her heart on the topic. I think it's very important for that. Uh, when we first started looking at uh, planning a church, I was talking to my wife about it, and, uh, and the first person we thought we needed to have on the team is Megan. Uh, we, I call her number one draft pick. She's been great. So you go ahead, you go ahead and come up for now. Just come up. So Megan's going to be, yeah, for now. Megan's going to be teaching today on worship. I hope that you guys are ready to be blessed. She's a gifted teacher and has a real heart for this congregation. She loves you guys, and I'm excited about it. Take it away, Megan. Good job. I kind of like you too. <laughs> Not a lot. So he stole my introduction, but I'm excited. So my main introduction was I'm actually excited to be here with you guys this time. Uh, if you remember last time in March, I started by saying I'm kind of excited. Today I'm actually excited to be here with you. Um, and how we ended up on the topic of worship Chuck shared with me his favorite worship song. It's a song called Place of Freedom that we've used the past couple of weeks. And so often when a song uh, is a really good song uh, that is theologically solid, um, that is singable for the congregation, it really gets stuck in my head. And so I found with this particular song, I was singing it in the morning. I was singing it when I woke up, singing it throughout the day. But then there was a line in the song that really stuck in my heart and it became itchy. Um, it's, I've come to worship, I've come to worship, right? I've come to worship. And I'm singing this all the time. And I'm like, why am I singing this part all the time? And so I, then I remembered the very first uh, teachings I ever did at Church of the Palms were on worship. And we were trying to figure out what we were going to teach on. So I reach out to Joe and I say, hey, what if I teach on worship? And he says, boom. And then we ran it past Daryl, and he was okay with it. And so that's how everything always works together. God plants a seed, and then it grows into something else. And so for the next two weeks, we are going to talk about worship, what it is, why we do it, what God requires. God has requirements for how we worship him. And today we're going to talk about, we'll finish up today with what worship should look like for us personally. And next week, I am very excited because we're going to talk about what worship as the body of Christ looks like. We're going to talk about corporate worships. Fun stuff? Fun stuff. You ready to get started? Thank you. Okay, so if you, historical, we're going to do historical, theological, and devotional for this today too. So historical application is what about man, what did he do, and why did he do it? Uh, there was a time in my life when if you asked me what worship is, I would have said, it's going to church. With singing a song. I would have really said one of those two things. Even though I grew up in a church, I would have said worship is a song or going to church. And as I got a little bit older and I grew a little bit more, uh, kind of changed a pers my perspective on that. But as I was, as I was preparing uh, to teach this class originally and I asked people what they thought worship is, I heard a lot of the same things. 
It's going to church. It's, it's singing. It's sitting here in this room. And so it, it didn't, it wasn't surprising to me when I looked into worship to find that that is one way that we go to church. Um, but think about how many times you have been here on a Sunday morning and you have said to yourself or you've heard someone else say, worship was good today. Like this is just worship. And so on a plus note, if we define worship or we say that worship is either the service in and of itself or singing, we aren't entirely wrong. The word worship is actually a contraction of two words from the 1300s, worth-ship. And so here's how it's defined. You can use it as a noun or a verb. If we use it as a noun, worship, worth-ship, is reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred personage or to any object regarded as sacred, or formal or ceremonious renderings of such honor and homage. So think about what we're, here, we're doing today. Three, adoring reverence or regard. Notice that this next, these last two, three and four, the object of our, I put that in parens for you, object of our adoring reverence and regard. The first two, absolutely religious in tone. Last two aren't. Adoring reverence or regard, the object of our adoring reverence or regard, or if we use it as a verb, remember, verb is an action word, to render religious reverence and homage to or, or, to feel an adoring reverence or regard for any person or thing. So this may or may not surprise you, but the need and the desire to worship is born in every single one of us. And over the past few decades, scientists and researchers have spent more and more time studying this idea of worship and what it is, why we all have this personal desire to connect with something, a deity, nature, an object, something outside of ourselves in order to feel fulfilled. And if we look at 2017, that source, whatever it is that we're connecting with, that we are adoring, that we're revering, that we're regarding, the source can be a bunch of different things, right? It can be our families. It can be our spouses. It can be our kids. It can be our significant others. It can be money. It can be material items. It can be education. It can be intellect. It can be technology. For some, it can maybe take a more costly consequence. It's something that's really harmful to us is the thing that we're kind of adoring and worshiping and revering and regarding. And, I was thinking, as I say these things, it might make some of us uncomfortable to have that list of items and use the word worship. So what it really means is we have something. We have this thing. We have this person. And our behavior and our action says this thing. This thing is what matters most to me. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I am going to put my attention, where I'm going to focus my heart, where everything, my time, my energy, my actions, my life is directed at this thing. So if it's true that we are all born to worship, if the scientists are right, if the researchers are right, if our hearts are right, because our hearts tell us that we want to connect with something, I think it's important for us to understand how it is that we're made. And that takes us to our theology. Theological application is what about God? What did he do? And why did he do it? Well, it's simple. God made us for him. If we're in this room today and we believe, if we've accepted Jesus Christ and we read the word in our Bible, we understand that we are made for for God and by God. We're going to use a lot of scripture today, Old and New Testament. 
both going to be equal opportunity so that side of the room doesn't get angry. So if we look first in the book of Isaiah 43, 6 through 7, bring, I love this verse, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone called, ooh, called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. If we go to the very end of the Bible in the New Testament, I'm going to set this up for you just quickly. This, these words are uh, being spoken around the throne as we speak by the elders. This is going on all the time because God is above time. So it's not like a snapshot that this is happening in Revelation. This is all the time. There are elders around the throne of God saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and this God who created us informed us for his glory he wants us to worship him he wants us, he wants us to make him the noun and the verb to be the thing that we're putting above all other things that we say this he is my worth he is the object of our adoring reverence and regard. And how do I know that? Well, because my Bible tells me so. B-I-B-L-E, that's a song too. Uh, (laughs) Let's start in the Old Testament. Get excited. Deuteronomy 6 says, now this is the commandment. And I'm going to stop right here. I put the word is. If you look at the translation, there is emphasis um, on the word is. It is specifically on the word is. This is the commandment. When God gives this to Moses, it is boiling all of the other commandments down into one commandment. And it's going to sound familiar to you, I think. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I love this verse. I like this one because it's a, it's a what and a how. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What and how? And if I said it would sound familiar, we see when Jesus in the book of, I think it's, what book is it? I don't know. I lost where I am. Mark. In Mark. That's the New Testament. Mark 12. The religious people are coming at Jesus. They like to come at Jesus a lot, all the good church people. And they said to him, what's the greatest command? And he said, the first is this. Hear, O Israel. I said it would sound familiar, right? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's read this out loud, church, together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no So what's interesting to me is that Jesus ranks the commandments for us. First is this, second is this, which means we don't have to. Jesus relieved the burden from us of deciding what he thinks is most important. We don't have to do that for him. We love God first, we love others second. Pretty neat, right? So God made us He wants us to worship him. He wants us to put him first. 
God is also very clear on how we are to worship him, which is awesome. We don't have to figure it out. We don't do so good when we try to figure God out, right? When we try to figure out God, God's commandments, which is most important, we're going to figure it out. No, it's right there. <laughs> he also tells us how we are to worship him. And we see it in the book of John between a conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman at the well. Real quick, Jesus is a Jew and he's a man. In case anybody didn't know, Jesus was a Jewish man. (laughs) The Samaritan woman at the well was a woman, and she was a Samaritan. But what's really interesting about that is that the Jews and the Samaritans, they did, that was oil and water. They did not get along. If you look historically through the Jewish texts, they kind of wished like for total annihilation of the Samaritans. So it's not only weird that they're a Jew and a, a Samaritan are talking, but Jesus is a man and she's a woman. But they have this conversation. And in this conversation, Jesus brings up something about the woman's past. I think it's maybe how many husbands she's had or something, something like that. And it's making her feel kind of icky on the inside. And so like a good woman, she attempts to pick a fight. (laughs) That's what we do. Uh, She tries to divert his attention and she makes a statement that's really a question. She says... Who is right? The Samaritans because we worship on the mountain or the Jews because you worship in the temple. Jesus isn't fallen for it. He's the master at taking what people throw at him. And instead, he uses that opportunity to establish the how. He redefines how we're supposed to worship. And we see it in John 4. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I'm going to be honest with you. Actually, no. I hate that when people say, I'm going to be honest. Are you not honest before? Are you a liar? You lie to me all the time. I'm going to be transparent and a little bit vulnerable. That's this... I'm still trying to figure out what that means exactly. I think that's a hard verse to understand. But here's what I've come to understand so far. That because of Jesus, right, is now here. That, I put that in red because Jesus is now here. All of the stuff that we used to say about worship, that no longer mattered. It was out the window. The temple didn't matter. The ritual didn't matter. All of the stuff that we thought we had to do in worship was that no longer mattered because Jesus was here. So Jesus negated all of that. So it was no longer about the what and the where. It's about the who and the how. See, true worship It must be in spirit. That means it has to engage our whole heart. We have to have a passion for God. And at the same time, it has to be in truth, meaning we have to have knowledge of the God whom we worship. It has to be informed. And so I think of it, spirit and truth, it's kind of like an equation. Here's some math for you on Sunday morning. The more we know about God and his word, I'm going to stop for just one second. When, we say his, when I say his word, I mean two things. The word. In the beginning was the word. The word is Jesus Christ as it is revealed to us in scripture through his redemptive work on the cross. He is the word. But we also have the word of God. So it's two pieces. The more we know about God and his word, which is the truth, the more we appreciate him. 
The more we appreciate him, the deeper our worship. That's the passion part, which is our spirit. And that equals the deeper our worship, the more God is glorified. And brothers and sisters, the glorification of God is the point of worship. The only reason that we worship God is to glorify him. Worship is neither for us nor it's about us. We really like to think that it is, especially our corporate worship services. And we're going to get to that next week. Don't let that prevent you from coming because we're going to talk about that. (laughs) So worship is all about God. Yes, we gain immeasurably. We gain incomparably from being together, from worshiping God either on our own. But at the end of the day, worship is all about him. And so that brings us to our personal application. So we always say our personal application is what do we do with it? What do we do? How do we know what our personal worship should look like? If you're anything like me, when somebody tells you, you like it when somebody tells you what to do. That's a lie. I don't like it. (laughs) Nehemiah and Joe tell you, my line is, don't tell me what to do. They send me text messages and I respond back, don't tell me what to do. He's laughing in the back. But I do. So you have somebody who throws, like, how many of us have had somebody throw this concept at us? And then, like, we feel like we're left to sort of figure it out on our own. And that leaves, that always makes me feel really uncomfortable. I don't like to figure stuff out on my own. So we're going to spend the rest of our time together. I have two verses we're going to look at, and we're going to read them back to back because I believe 100% that they go together. We're going to talk about them, and then we're going to make a plan. We are going to make a plan for what our how looks like. So, first verse, Romans 12.1. This is Paul, and I love how he uses the word appeal because it's a soft word. It's a word from your heart. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, Hebrews 4.3. Therefore, by him, let us continually eat. Oh, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So I said we talk about what these verses mean first. First, worship. And I put those words in red up there. Worship starts with what Jesus has done for us on the cross, literally giving his life so we would not be condemned to an eternity of separation from the Father. That's what it's about. Because before Jesus, we have a perfect God with all of these imperfect people, and the two do not go together. And I want you to pay attention here, especially if you've not gotten to the point yet where you understand this or where you are willing to accept this. Before the cross, we had a debt that we could not pay. The perfection of God, the brokenness of man are completely incompatible. And there was nothing that we could do. Even if we wanted to get there, even if we wanted to be reconciled to God, there, was ab- there is absolutely nothing that we can do our- on our own. There are not enough ways for us to be a good person. I'm just going to be a good person. There are not enough ways for you to be a good person. There is not enough money that you can give. There are not enough backpacks that we can fill. There are not enough puppies that we can save from death in an animal shelter. I'm not kidding, people. That's what we think we do. We're going to buy our way into heaven. There, isn't, there aren't enough amends that we can make. 
There is not enough that we can do to bridge the gap from imperfect to perfect. But because of Jesus, by the mercies, how there is nothing more merciful for us than the work of Christ on the cross. By the mercies of God, because of Jesus, he paid the debt that we could not pay. Never would be capable of paying. He reconciled us to God so we would not be separated from the Father for all of eternity. And that fact alone, that we have somebody who loves us so much, who did not want us to be without him. He did not want to be separated from us. He made a way. He paid the debt that we could not pay. And so because of that, the only, the only response that we have, the only thing that we can do in return is to worship him, to offer whole life worship. Our all in return. He gave his all for us. We give our all for him. Because imagine what it would be like where we would be if he didn't. I don't think we can. John Piper, so these verses, John Piper is one of the greatest theologians of our time. He puts it like this. What Paul has in mind here is a lifestyle. When he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, he means it is your living, your living that is the act of worship. I know how I live. So I don't know about you, that is more than slightly intimidating. (laughs) It is downright Scary, because that means if it's my living that's an act of worship, it's more than a song. It's more than communing with God in nature. It's more than having my cheek in the seat every week. It's more than whatever way we define worship. And we have a lot of ways that we can worship God. But what God wants is whole life worship. And because it's scary, I said we would do the hell. This is why we're going to go through the hell today. So, remember, we're going to worship in spirit and truth. It's now about the who and the how. We're going to make a plan. Isn't this exciting? We're not going to leave you to go out and wander on your own and figure out what's the most important commandment. <laughs> we know, what, right? What's the most important commandment? Love God. Then what's the second? That's right. Okay, so, but how do we do this living as an act of worship? The first thing that we do, we open our Bibles. We are active about wanting to get to know God, and we do that through opening our Bibles and reading God's Word. Make sense? Because here's what we're going to do. We are going to open our Bible, and we're going to find a word in our Bibles that describes God. Because God tells us he wants to know us. And if we know that spirit and in truth, the truth part is we have to know who God is. We open our Bibles. I want you to open your Bibles. And I want you to find one word that describes God. In the verse that you're reading, in the chapter that you're reading, find a verse, find a chapter. Don't read a whole book because, A, nobody likes an overachiever. Nobody likes an overachiever. And B, a whole book is way, 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 way too much. Find a verse. Here's what we could do. We could use Psalm 119. Not even kidding. (laughs) Not kidding this time. But if you look in Psalm 119 and you want to find a word that describes God that's going to get you to know the truth of who he is, here's what we've seen so far. That God is faithful. He is hope. He is salvation. He is comfort. He is gracious. He is just. He is fair. He is steadfast in his love. 
steadfast in his love, we see that I think at least four or five times. So open your Bible and find a word, whatever word jumps out at you. And if you find, I encourage you, if there's a word in your Bible that makes you feel icky or it makes you feel angry, I encourage you to pick that word because that means if a word makes you angry about God that you're, you're angry. Oh, I almost said something bad. You are angry that, that God has not demonstrated that to you in your life yet. Doesn't mean he's not. You're just mad that you haven't seen him show up that way yet. So pick that word. So we're going to pick a word. And then we are going to meditate and pray and focus on that word. And you are going to stand before your creator. This is what I did in my kitchen at 5 o'clock this morning. I'm not kidding. God, show me how you are faithful. Show me how you are faithful. Show me how you are hope. Show me how you are my salvation. Show me how you are fair. How many of us don't think God is fair? Show me how you are fair. You pray on that word, and you carry that word with you throughout your day. Days. God has no timetable. He certainly doesn't operate on our timetable. But carry that word with you. And continue to ask God to show you, God, show me how you are this word. And he will, because he's faithful. Guess what? At some point in time, he's going to show you how he is whatever word you have picked out about him. And then when he does that, you're going to stop right there and you're going to say, thank you, God, for showing me how you are whatever word I have picked about you. You're offering the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. That's what we saw in Hebrews, right? And then guess what you're going to do? You're going to open your Bible back up again, and you're going to find another verse or a chapter, and you're going to find another word about God. And then you're going to pray. You're going to ask him to show you who he is and how he is that word. You're going to thank him. You're going to open your Bible. You're going to do the same thing over and over and over again. And eventually, this is going to become a habit, a habit, which leads us to a word that I said, eek. When I read, the word was continually, right? We are building a habit continually by offering the sacrifice of praise to his name for who he is and what he's done. That's worship in spirit and truth. And eventually, what we see is this. We have this life of continual worship that moves because we're, we're doing this. It moves into our hidden thoughts. It moves into our darkest times. It moves into our greatest joys. Continual worship then extends outside of our personal devotional and prayer time, and it moves into our home life and how we interact with our families. It moves into our conversations and how we interact with others. It's continual worship. Maybe it moves into our bank accounts. Maybe it moves into our decision to serve others. It, it moves into how we interact with the world around us and see it continues to grow because we have this habit and then it continues to spill out to the world around us. And how can it not spill out to the people around us when we have learned through this habit that God is faithful or just pick these ones that he's generous or fair. When we've learned that he's like that for us, who in the world are we? to deny that and to not show that to somebody else, to not do what Hebrews says, to do good and to share. You have a habit 
that is now building up of whole life worship. All of a sudden, our living, what Piper said, our living is worship, and it's in spirit and truth where God is honored and God is glorified with everything that we do, and now he is the center. He is whom we are putting on the pedestal because of what he's done and who he has shown us. It is whole life worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm almost done. Isn't that exciting? Next week, (laughs) we're going to look at corporate worship in this organism called the church. It's a great place. Um, To close our time together, I want to do two things. Number one, we talked a little bit about Jesus and his work on the cross. If you have not come to understand that yet, and you want to talk more about it, you want somebody to pray with you, find me, find Joe, find Nehemiah, find Cian, find Daryl, find Anna, find Al. We would love to sit and to pray with you. We invite you to do that today. Personal worship ties into corporate worship. Uh, and there's a quote that I'm going to read from my favorite book on worship. It's called The Air I Breathe by an author's name is Louis Giglio. He writes a lot of songs with Tomlin, Matt Redlin, Redman. Um, this is how it all works together because Personal worship and corporate worship, neither on its own, can satisfy the requirement that we have of worshiping God. You have to have both. Ready? Oh, repeat. (laughs) I'm going to get a drink for this one. This might make some of you mad. Mm. Trust me. Church is a lot better when our gatherings are filled with people who have been pursuing God for six days before they get there. Church as a refill or a tank up is a disaster. Disaster. Corporate worship works best when we arrive, ooh, when we arrive with something to offer God as opposed to coming to get something for ourselves from God. Sure, it's true that we are strengthened and refreshed by what happens when we worship with other believers, but leaning on Sundays as our only time of spiritual intake is a recipe for languid worship and an anemic body. I invite you to pray with me. God, uh, first of all, we thank you. Thank you for making us, even though sometimes we don't like who we are. We thank you for making us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for knowing us before we were even born. We thank you that when we read your word, we know that it says you knew us before my mother's womb. You knew us. You called us. You made us. God, thank you for the truth of who you are. Thank you for the work of your son, on the cross who was willing who was willing uh, to pay for us in a way that none of us would ever be able to imagine even on our worst days even when we are having the worst moment of our life you hanging on the cross was worse than anything we can imagine. And I think what's even worse is we know how bad we all are. And you did it for us. You still did it for us. No matter what we've done, you hung there. And so thank you. God, help us to want to know you more. Help us 
to connect with the truth of who you are, that you're loving and that you're kind and that you're fair and that you're faithful and that you're steadfast. Help us to understand that truth when we can't see it, when we don't want to see it, but especially when we need it. And then help us, God, to extend the truth of who you are as we live a life of worship, the life of worship that you want from us. Help us to share that with the people around us. Thank you for this time. We thank you for this place. We thank you for knitting the community of Grace Life together. In the name of your Son, amen. 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 <laughs>